Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Spotlight podcast from London Theatre, where every two weeks we'll be interviewing some of the biggest names from the West End theatre scene. I'm Will Longman and we have a real treat for you this week. Rachel Tucker shot onto the theatre scene after she appeared in Andrew Lloyd Webber's talent search series, uh, Do Anything. After reaching the semi-finals, she went on to appear in the Queen Jukebox musical We Will Rock You, before taking over the role of Elphaba in the West End production of Wicked, a role she later went on to play on Broadway. She's currently appearing in the West End transfer of the brilliant musical Come From Away, which tells the incredible story of a small Canadian town which welcomed over 7,000 stranded passengers in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. Showcasing the compassion and kindness of the real-life people of Gander, who have been very involved with the promotion of the show itself, Come From Away has been a huge success since it opened here in London, recently taking home the Best Musical Award at this year's Olivier's. Before a performance at the Phoenix Theatre, I sat down with Rachel, who, among other characters, plays airline pilot Beverly Bass in the show, and we spoke about keeping it together on stage when you can clearly see audience members in tears, how she first began performing through cabaret with her dad, and we'll find out whether or not she kissed the cod. First time I'd heard about this new show, I was, uh, I think I was doing Wicked on Broadway and I'd heard about it and, um, but only just like a hubba bubba, a hubba bubba about it, you know, because of the way Wicked, or uh, Come From Away advertise. Uh, and I now understand that. So I'd heard about it, heard amazing things, couldn't get a ticket, couldn't see it anyway because I was busy doing Wicked. And then I thought, oh, download the album, downloaded this album and this music. You know when you just get an album, you're like, "This, I need, to, I need to hear this again and again." And I cried, and then I researched the story. I was like, "Well, you know, I was very interested to know what was in between songs and um, love the score." And then, next thing I know, about a year and a half later, I get a breakdown from my agency, and they'd love to do the edition for "Come From Away." So I was like, "Wow, brilliant!" Get the album out again, listening to it, and. Um, so I got very excited about the soundtrack and then even more excited when I was up for it. And then I tried to see it in New York, couldn't get a ticket. Um, but then the producers invited me while I was there doing my own show. And um, my husband and I were a bit worried that I'd already booked the job by this point. And we were a bit worried it wasn't going to be up to the expectations or of what, and hoping that it's going to be as good as... And of course, we were totally... It was blown out of the water. It was better than anything I'd ever, ever imagined a, a theatre piece could be, especially of this, uh, su- you know, subject. Um, so I had, I was ugly crying by the end of it, uh, laughing and snot bubbles at the same time. It's just, it's not a very nice picture, but it's true. And I was so overwhelmed when I saw it on Broadway and about a year, last September. That is the surprising thing, isn't it? It's the emotional impact it has it's, because it does get dressed up. The backstory mm-hmm. of it is, you know, it happens to the backdrop of 9-11. Yeah. But it really does hit you for the kindness and compassion. That's that. That's the that's the beauty about this. And that's why it's like this quiet gem of a theatre piece that people are just not expecting to hit them in the surplexes. Um, like the whole way through the show um, on different levels, either if it's 
like side ripping laughter uh, to uh, a roller coaster in in uh, levels of emotion that I don't think people ever were expecting, especially with this show. And I, I for one, wasn't ready for it. Um, and and it still hits me like um, uh, yesterday on stage. I were asked not to cry and to emote on stage. But yesterday, it was my mum's seventh anniversary and just the whole idea of the show and being there and part of it, I, I just I had a little tear in my eye. I had a little, a little moment on stage, just, again, just the hu- human kindness and the, those emotions, the happy, the joyful, the giving, the generous side of humanity and, and how emotional that can be. Is it not tricky to stop yourself from crying when you can see so many people in the audience crying. Well, that does set us off a lot, actually. Um, when you see front front row members, you know, you can just, you, the lights do, do spill out onto the audience and you see a lot of hands up on the faces and wiping tears away. And it's when you hear people crying, that's when it gets me. Um, but again, you have to really stop yourself from crying because it's not our place. It's not our job. We're there to tell the story. It's the audience's job to emote and cry and laugh and, you know, all that. So uh, you do have to hold it together sometimes, yeah. There was a couple, when I saw it a couple of nights ago, someone was crying in front of me and the person sat next to them, a complete stranger, was the person comforting them. Oh, you see. And he thought, you know, if that happened at a different show... It wouldn't really happen. happen. No, yeah. it's true. And the, the, the thing with a show, you want to share stories and, like, people feel like it's... It's a natural thing to talk to your neighbour. That's what we've got from this. They want to, where were you on 9-11? Or where, did, where were you? They want to talk about, there's been so many people that have come that were on one of these planes that were trapped in in, in Gander, Newfoundland. And they want to tell, and people want to hear. And it is a neighbourly thing to do in this theatre, in this, for this story. It, it doesn't really, especially in London, you don't really talk to your neighbour beside you at theatre. You don't. You know, I, you, you hear a lot of Americans doing it, and when you hear Americans in the audience, they're so hey, you know, you know, they, they all want, they, they want to chat, but this, for some reason, really makes people want to communicate with each other. One thing you don't hear throughout watching Come From Away, after maybe the first five minutes and five minutes from the end, is mm-hmm. applause, mm-hmm. because listening to the soundtrack, like you said, you wanted to hear what was in between the songs. Yes. You can listen to the soundtrack and you know hear That's everything. That's your story, yeah, yeah. It, it's true. It is unrelenting. Just song after song, mm-hmm. it's non-stop. As a performer, Same, yeah. what is that like for you? Well, to be honest, we share the load. There's 12 of us on stage um, and and band members. And we do, it's, you know, we all have our moments, um, but we definitely share it. So when Claude and, um, uh, you know, a couple of the other characters are having like a specific scene, we sit and observe and watch. So you get a bit of a moment to kind of not be in the limelight and, you know, just have a little rest kind of not you know not like go to sleep but definitely have a rest so and then and then it's your turn and so so we definitely pass the baton that way you know and um and i quite like that um um and each night it changes like i was really looking forward to singing my song last night my solo um and it's funny i don't most of the times i don't see it as oh here comes my solo you know it, it feels so I really try to live in each moment and, and give over to, like, being the best Annette I can be in screeching. You know, there's some nights you can't help it as an actress. You, you Maybe I'm a bit vocally tired. I'm like, oh, God, I hope, you know, hope me and this guy's going to be okay tonight. Or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. 
but I try and give in to each moment mm-hmm. and be the best and be as present as I can be. And then usually that's the key. That's the key to it. Yeah, it actually, if you're just living for each moment, it you can you can only be that good that in that moment you, you've actually done your job. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. That's hard to that's hard to do some nights because you can be in your own head or you know if you've got people in watching you're like oh what do they think of this you know so you'd really try and avoid that and share the load is what I love about it. How many characters do you play in in the show? Um, well, um, um, I play Annette, who is a, 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 com, a compound of two um, Gander characters. One of, of two of two they interviewed, who was a, a librarian and a teacher. Mm-hmm. So they put those two um, stories together and used their um, dialogue. And then I play Captain Beverly Bass, so that's two. And then I, I, I play um, others, which is like random passengers on the plane and buses. And so the, I think there's probably about, uh, and, I, and I split them, there's probably about, I'm probably playing five different characters. I mean, the, the others are, the, there's no solo lines really, but I have a character in my head of who they are. Like when we're on the African bus, mm-hmm. um, I very much feel like I am from some part remote part of Africa um, along with others you know um, so even though I don't speak I, I try and I try and give that feeling of a real stranger um, from a complete far off country and can't speak English you know so compared to another show where you know you're doing a lot of character work trying to get into that space yes you're here doing Annette who's an amalgamation of two yes. people and Beverly who is Beverly Bass yes was that triple the workload for you no, because it's it's not it's not like um, well yes it I suppose it was in it was more uh, it occupied more of my brain space in rehearsal time, mm-hmm. and in rehearsal rehearsal period, they very very much needed the actors to learn the chair and table moves, so we were asked to be off the book. We were asked to know our dialogue before rehearsal started, which for an actress for me anyway it's pretty tricky to do. I learn on my feet so. So there was a lot expected of us already. So to have done homework was very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. But I could only really be guided once I was in the rehearsal room by the director and the creatives. So everything happened at the same time. So there wasn't much room for <laughs> getting it wrong, you know. And then actually it's taken me maybe... Eight, eight, nine, ten, twelve weeks from Dublin through to London to actually really find Annette and Bav- Beverly and mm. and separate them and have and know for sure absolutely hundred percent what I'm doing with them. It takes time, you know. A four week rehearsal period isn't usually enough. I mean, it's enough to get on to stage and to everybody get you know to do their job well enough, but it really takes. It matures over eight, nine, ten, twelve weeks. You know. Sometimes I talk to actors who are playing real life characters, and they can go away and you know, read articles and yeah. books and do research yeah. on the character. You're in a position where you've been able to sit down with talk to them. Yeah. yeah is yeah. it just because you, you've met Beverly? If you, I mean, yes. she's seen the show how many times? One hundred and thirty-five times or something. <laughs> incredible. Like, let's be honest, she does get free flights across the world, so <laughs> yeah. she might, might as well. <laughs> Did it help having being able to sit down with her yeah, and, and talk yeah, to her? And yeah, very, very much. So, like Beverly was able to give me a couple of things that, like, 
A, the creative, the creative directors and team didn't either know or just it was a tiny nuance that, that didn't pass on. Like the likes of, like she says, Rachel, when we got on those planes at the end, she says the rain was coming at us sideways because this storm, Hurricane Erin, it was literally ready to take the plane off the runway. It was so strong. The rain was horizontal, hitting the window, and we couldn't have got out there any out of the out of Gander any sooner. So things like that, you know, and so that helps me. And that the line toward the end of the show that Beverly says, "We have to leave. We have to leave now." You know, if I didn't know that nugget of information, my stakes before I knew that my stakes weren't very high. I was. It, 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 she heightened my stakes because it re and I need to let the audience know is like if we literally don't leave in the next two minutes we have to we're grounded we're grounded for two days another two days so I'm trying to get that over we, you, just, you don't understand we need to leave now you know what I mean so yeah. like that's that's a nugget that that I, that I never got from the director and that, which is fine and that's why it's so good to sit and have a coffee with with real people it's you know you can't get it always and it's incredible that they love the show as much so as they much, do you know they yeah. really do follow it it wasn't just you know Beverly that goes and see it. I think in Dublin I met four or five yes, of the real people yeah, yeah, and yeah. They're, they're, they formed a one now and they all came over to London that's to right they're, they're yeah. the, 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 Newfoundland, the family of come from away like they are they're the, the, the flag carriers that you know they really they just love that their story is getting told you know that they were so vital they don't feel like they were vital a lot of especially the Newfoundlanders don't feel like they were just like well it's what you would do in that situation but they they love the fact that this story has been celebrated to the height it has mm -hmm. and it's a story that's been told globally across the world you know and it's vital because it's simplistic human basic skills and it's been multiplied to beyond what what I think they, they could have thought was possible and yet they still think like if it's it's just in a day's work. And that that's what's so beautiful about the show, that it that comes across so simplest that the simplicity of that is what I love and, mm -hmm. and I think that's what the audience are so surprised about that it, it hits them in a real simple, beautiful told way with no jazz hands nothing majorly no big show stopping numbers and and how that 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 story and the simplicity of it affects people the way it does people kind of they can't believe that it's done that to them that's why they keep coming back <laughs> have you been screeched in i have <laughs> no a real screech in you have to do it in newfoundland okay could you so, explain a little bit of what it is yes. in london so wherever you did it? um the, the the phrase come from away um, the Newfoundland people use it as anybody who wasn't born on the island of uh, Newfoundland. They are people who come from away. They come from awayers. So that's their saying. Um, and uh, they, whenever anybody comes to visit, they, if there's a, a ceremony called getting screeched in, where they have this rum-like um, alcohol, you get a shot of it. Um, and an, an, a, a freshly caught cod has to happen that day and you have to kiss the cod and drink the screech mm -hmm. that's what it's it, that, that's the alcohol that's what's called screech and um and you have to drink it and kiss the fish and then you are um a, a, an honorary member of of a of Newfoundland 
And did you kiss the cut? I did. <laughs> <laughs> it was as slippery and sloppy as I thought it would be. It was it was real good fun. So the uh, Newfoundlanders, uh, when they came to see the show here in London, we got hired a pub. The producers, everybody went downstairs in a pub, and there was a new leaf caught cod, and they brought the screech over with them, and every single member of the cast uh, kissed the cod and had a, a shot of screech. Mm. And so we're honorary members until we go to Newfoundland. I think we've decided we're going to go on a field trip someday exactly, and go to Newfoundland and, and get actually um, screeched in. That that that's that would be a that would be a, a life goal of mine. Actually, I'd love to go. Because the characters, you know, they all say, you know, the door's always open. Yeah. And when you meet them, they, they all really say, you know, if you're that. ever there. They really genuinely mean that. They're like, absolutely any time. And spending a couple of nights with them, Oz and his son, um, they, they just, they've got so much time to give, especially us here. And it was press night and we were doing the press junket and everybody's busy and going from one to the next and one to the next. And, you know, me is, I wanted to, to get chatting to all the Newfoundlanders and, and you just find that the, the the Newfoundlanders they 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 could have spent if if you'd let them we could have spent four or five hours just talking they're in no hurry they they never seem to be in any hurry to leave you to to, to go away to go and like they could talk for England <laughs> just and and that's what's really nice as well it's like you know just taking the time with somebody to actually really communicate and we're all so busy in London and everything's so quick and. And it made me go, no, just calm down. Just talk to this one person, you know, give over a bit of time to it. You know, we're in no hurry. It's, it's really lovely. One thing I hoped you might be able to shine a bit of light on. I've had friends that have gone to see the show and they come back and their one thing is, I don't quite get the accent. Ah. Is it Irish? What What is it? Well, funny you should say that. When I downloaded the album, I was like, wow, they're doing not a very brilliant Irish or... American. I I th- I thought, is this an Irish cast trying to do um, a Canadian accent, or is this Americans or Canadians trying to do an Irish? So I understand, but having worked on the show and worked with our Dalek coach Joel, and haven't actually heard how Newfoundlanders speak, and we always ask them, well, how are we doing with our accents? And they're like spot on. So. It is a hard accent to get your ear around because you're not. It's because it is so. It's fundamentally it's Irish, <laughs> because a lot from the famine. That was the first port of call that the boats hit, was Newfoundland and Canada, <laughs> um, and so it, yes, you are hearing a lot of Irish, uh, and then with a Canadian twang <laughs> or Canadian with a very heavy Irish twang. So yes, I understand the confusion, but it's we're, we're we're very much in the ballpark of the accent. What are some of the differences then? So, so like, um, so what are some of the differences? So, I would so about about is Canadian. Okay. So, uh, and we are told to flatten it. So about. Right. And so that's close to about. How Rachel would say it. So about. Yeah. See, it's so close. So yeah. sometimes I I was going too far and going too Canadian with it and Joe would say just keep it neutral do, like do your own accent so you know it, it's it's a kind of a real rubbing your belly and tapping your head it's like yeah. one of those confusing ones and then like I would say Mr Michaels and actually that's too Irish it just it, it should be Canadian stroke American Mr Michaels right and you know things like that it's yeah. like there's no there was no kind of there's not many rules 
um, well there are but for us to get through it we had to kind of we had to either cling on to the Canadian or cling on to the Irish mm-hmm. so actually being a native Irish speaker is probably yeah. more challenging for you than well, anyone else was. in the cast. myself and David Shannon thought this we were like well we're just going to sound like we're just doing Irish accents or, or you know we're, we're not doing the Canadian or so um, but Joel helped us a lot with that and so I, I cling on to more Canadian than, than Irish you know is it important you mentioned David having a, a close knit cast in a show like this massively yeah. Yeah, really I mean it it really helps if we get on which thankfully we do I, I haven't laughed so much in a cast in my life it's the funniest bunch of people I've ever worked with we laugh every day um, and on stage at each other like you know and we are allowed to we're allowed to have a little because we observe and we're allowed to react um, and Nathaniel especially who plays Bob um, we call him Grills uh, one of his lines when it comes to the barbecues just every night the, the cast just are in stitches at him because yeah. he plays it so brilliantly um, and yeah we've such a tight cast very and the, the, the now that the London standbys uh, came on board after Dublin and like it's even bigger and much more of a close family there's more of us and more personalities going on and it's really brilliant team and you could tell how close you were a couple of weeks ago at the Olivier Awards when yes, you had your great win yes. and the cast were sat upstairs and you were on stage and waving at them oh I, could, I that to me was I forgot I was on stage and there was cameras I was just if I could have jumped up and hugged them away up in that balcony I would have I was I wanted them to be on stage with us and I just it was the the proudest moment um up to date of really mainly for me for the those creatives that have created the show from word go um Ian Kelly Chris um Ricky all all David and Iring just the fact that they've been recognized for this stunning piece of theater that they've crafted and created and you know, um, they had nine nods at the Tonys and came away with one. And so this time round, it was so important to them that they got the, the best new musical because, you know, I feel it deserved it. And a lot of, obviously, a lot of people did. So, you know, best recognition in, in music and dance, choreography. It just, it, it and my heart just is so, so bursting for them. They really deserve this time for a quick interval now i hope you're enjoying this episode and just wanted to let you know that if you want to go and see come from away in the west end you can click the link in the description of this episode to find tickets don't forget to subscribe to the spotlight podcast with any of the podcast providers you're using and if you're really enjoying the show do leave us a rating or a review now the second half opens with our regular quick fire quiz where we give our guest 10 questions to answer as quickly as they can. Rachel was fired up to beat the last guest, Giles Torreira, who answered all 10 questions in just over a minute. Let's see how she gets on. Giles is a friend of mine, and I was speaking to you last night, and I had to beat Giles. (laughs) I'm ready. Favourite ever musical? Uh, Calamity Jane. Interval Tipple? Uh, uh, Coffee. Karaoke song. Pride Mary. Last film you watched. Um, uh, uh, Spider Man. Your first ever performance. Um, first ever performance. Watching or or in performing. Um, cabaret with my dad. Your theatre idol. Uh, Bette Midler. 
Favourite city in the world? New York. Proudest achievement? Proudest achievement? Being a mother. Biggest hobby? Gym. Dressing room must have? Water. 46 seconds. Yeah. Definitely one that's going to be tricky to beat. Yes! Thank you! She's not competitive at all. <laughs> Terribly competitive. Terribly competitive. So first performance, cabaret with your dad? Singing cabaret with my dad. Okay. Yeah. How when I was that, nine years old. How did that come about? So um, he, so he with his father was uh, quite literally, his name's Tommy Tucker. Mm-hmm. Tommy Tucker Kelly, that's his stage name. He quite literally sung for his supper. So they were rather poor. And his dad used to play the accordion, the banjo, and they used to go around and pass the hat round, and that's how they got money for their dinner. Wow. And so it was a kind of a must-have for dad and his generation, even though he loved it and he was brilliant at it, but it was quite necessary. And then it's his son sung with his dad from he was six, professionally, really. And then I got the bug. I was about seven, eight, nine, I just kept seeing dad and he was going out the weekends and singing some at parties and I was like, can I can I come with you next weekend? Aunt's 60th surprise birthday party and dad had me rehearsing for it and you are my sunshine, stupid Cupid. Um, he's got the whole world in his hands so I had a, got a little set with him. Did it. And the next week, the guy that run the club said, does she want to come back and do a cabaret spot next week? Oh. First gig, £25. Pounds. Not age, bad. Age of nine, nine and a half. £25. Pounds 25 is not bad, it's it? yeah. great, isn't it? And, but I had to go and join equity. Right. At the age of nine. Okay. Yeah, that's... that's so, so that's how you caught the bug. And where did it go from there? What was the next cabaret, step? Um, so got my repertoire, doing all that. Saw my sister then. Uh, be Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz and she had these lovely ruby red slippers and I was like well I need a pair of those and I want to do that what she's doing couldn't believe that watching it on TV and then there she was doing it on stage I was like well obviously that's what I have to do so she took me to rehearsals with her loved it loved showing off as a kid just still do <laughs> that nothing's changed um, and then just couldn't get enough sang with my dad at the weekends and then started doing summer shows and still singing at the weekends and then um, and then stopped singing at the weekends because it took my theatre more seriously and then realised I have to go to London if I want to continue it and um, so it was very much music focused oh, music, at first always yeah. always music in our family always when did the kind of switch from performing cabaret music to, well, to when, acting well my sister it? was doing the Andrams and mm-hmm. she was doing and my sister was a really very convincing actress um, so she, she she actually I remember watching her going Oh, she's not only just singing, but she's 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 really acting. And of course, I'm sure looking back now, I'm sure it wasn't fantastic, but she was so convincing. And so I saw that, and I was like, "Why? Oh, I think I could do that." And then Dad took me to a Saturday school. They were all they were rehearsing for Annie, and he walked in. He had this big fur coat and big like an old fashioned fur coat like his dad must have given him and they all thought he was Daddy Warbucks coming in to play Daddy Warbucks <laughs> and and I was too late for it and after the next production so I went to the Saturday school of that and then the next production was Bugsy Malone mm-hmm. this was when I was 11 and they were casting Bugsy and Bugsy Malone and the boys weren't good enough so I got the part of Bugsy wow. so they my hair back hat and cut and I learnt and I just naturally could always act it just it was just a thing I could do I think I just loved it I loved it I loved being able to be somebody else really quickly oh. um and then yeah so that was 
that was Bugsy Malone. I played Bugsy when I was 11. Uh, and then I remember the, the newspapers coming and taking a photograph and the first female Bugsy, you know, all this. Say I'm ahead of the time here. <laughs> Say, we're g- go with this. So, and then I, I just think, God, I love this attention. Love, love. <laughs> got, they got hooked on the attention. I was like, and that wow. comes from the loving showing off. That's right? it. Yeah, yeah. And because it was so natural and normal in our house, Dad would always say, right, Rachel, right here we go, and he would be with the band. Okay, say here we go. You are my sunshine. You know, and if I was in the mood of joining, if I wasn't, I'm like, oh, Dolly, shut up. And, you know, just and because he was always pra- he was always practicing. But I was piano, guitar, I was always practicing. So it was always there. I was always encouraged. So fast forward after Bugsy to moving to London. Yeah. Why did you feel like you had to make that move, and what was it like? Was it uh, how old were you? Well, I well I was I, I'd left school and had done school productions and loved it, and then I went and did two years at uh, at BTEC in performing arts in Belfast, and I had to leave early because I me and my mate got the leads in our first my first pr- professional production, mm-hmm. which was Rent in Dublin. I got Maureen, mm-hmm. and he got uh, Roger, and we could, we couldn't believe it. I was eighteen. And I moved to Dublin for six months to go and play Maureen and Rent. And that's when the punt was still there. It wasn't even Euro. It was punt. And we were getting paid like 700 punt a week for something we loved. I couldn't believe my luck. Yeah. It's like, um, and we get paid for it? At that age, I was like, I couldn't believe it. And then did six months of that and I auditioned for a couple of drama schools and thought, no, I'll, do you know what I'll do? I'll wait. I'll save up. I'll do a year in Belfast working and saving and I went and did a year then I prepared more and went and did a one year course at Royal Academy of Music postgrad course which my friend was at and I'd heard about and I loved absolutely loved so, so I knew I needed I needed a wee bit more time and I knew I, I, I didn't want necessarily three years of a musical theatre or a straight acting course I just wanted a year to polish me off and you know mm-hmm. buff me up and get an agent and get into London that was my so that that was that was the next move. And so, if you had any advice for someone, you know, thinking about oh, you know, I've got this opportunity to go to London or something like that, you know, they've got their next big step. Yeah. What would you say to them? To push them to? Um, definitely, you need to, like I said, you need to feel you're ready for it. It it you you need to find that feeling that, you know, like I could have went straight after rent and I didn't. It didn't feel right. I was I still felt I was a bit young. Um. And I'm glad like a show didn't come up because Pippa Alien who cast Rent and who's my kind of career guardian agent, a- angel, um, I asked her advice and she was like, it doesn't feel ready, don't come. But if, you know, if a show had to come up, she'd have put me in for it and I'd have come over and then I might have went to drama school. So I think it's, I think it's, you, it's, a, it's a, an instinct you have to have. If it is, if you can't stop thinking about it, if you can't get enough of like, you know, at the minute I, my feeling is I cannot wait to get back to New York. I, I'm, I mean, I'm loving my time here. I'm, in, I'm in no hurry, but I've got that yearning to go back to New York. Okay. You know, so I know I'm ready to get back there. You know, um. So, so, so I think I think it's a feeling you've got to feel it. Your gut has to tell you to go for it, and whatever that is, if it means. You know, you don't want to just come be a kid from Belfast, come over and get a job in a bar. Mm-hmm. You might. But I think you need to be a bit more strategic about it, and you know, if, you know, have a drama school to go to, or have coaching or acting classes, or 
you know, a job set up that's going to sustain your actual ultimate goal, which is either theatre or, you know, what it is, what, what your passion is. I think that's a bit of preparation and kind of your foundations need to be, I think, solid before you make those moves. Sound advice. A lot of people would just say, do it. Go for it. No, and, but do, but like my mum's saying was just, Rachel, just jump and it will appear. That's going to be my first tattoo whenever I get around to doing it. Uh, you know, just jump, do it. But not in like a, I'm packing a suitcase and I'm out of London, bye. You know, think about it. Watch your moves. But yes, have a plan. Jump in six months. You know what I mean? You know, you know you're not running out of time. It's been lovely to chat oh, to you. Thank, thank you very you. much. And thank next you. time you're in a karaoke bar, let me know and I'll you come will, you, you do Proud Mary. You will be here and we Proud Mary. I love a karaoke. I love it. <laughs> and that's our show. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of the Spotlight podcast from londontheatre.co.uk. And if you did, please do subscribe and leave us a review. We'll be back in two weeks. But in the meantime, if you enjoyed hearing about Come From Away, You can book tickets for the show in the West End via the link in the description of this episode. And to play us out, we have a clip from the original Broadway cast recording of Come From Away. Here is Me and the Sky. My parents must have thought They had a crazy kid Cause I was one of those kids Who always knew what I wanted They took me down to the airport to see all the planes depart and watching them fly something inside of me was starting I was eight when I told them that I'd be a pilot But I was too young and too short and there were no female captains and my dad said be patient He said just see what happens But I took my first lesson came down from the sky and told my father I'd fly for the rest of my life and I got my first job Flying for a mortician In a tiny bonanza Just a corpse and me Five dollars an hour For flying dead bodies I had to climb over their faces Just to get to my seat